How many of you glad to be in church today? It's a good day. Praise God. England won yesterday. Was I the only one shouting for them the whole country? Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> praise the Lord. And just want to wish all of our uh, American uh, brothers and sisters a very blessed uh, Independence Day, 4th of July. For those of you who weren't shouting for England yesterday. Um, so anyway, glory to God. Let's, let's, um, let's pray. Father, we just open our hearts today and we ask you, Spirit of God, that you would speak to us. And as I finish this series today, I just pray that people will have a new sense of eternity and of the urgency of the hour and of the opportunity that every one of us have, Lord, to serve your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're finishing our series, uh, part three, called On the Edge of Eternity. And um, I want to start by a quote by C.S. Lewis. And he said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And this is the reality is that every one of us were made for another world. We were created for eternity. And therefore, uh, there's something on the inside of us yearns um, for something this world cannot satisfy, this world cannot provide. We, we were created, you and I were created for eternity. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await uh, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's from heaven uh, that Christ our Lord is, is coming, but we, our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven. And so that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful, you know, to see people shouting for all of their various teams and nations, etc. But, you know, all of us have... Um, an affiliation that is higher than any mere nation, our citizenship, the Bible says, is in heaven. And that's why we never really feel quite at home here. Um, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 7, it says, He hath made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in men's hearts. And so God has placed eternity on the inside of our hearts. And uh, this is why it's so important because Ecclesiastes 3 deals with, you know, how he's made a time to, to speak, a time to be silent, a time to live, a time to die, etc., etc. And then he goes beyond time and says, and he has set eternity in men's hearts. So how many of you over the last uh, two messages have heard some things that have stirred your soul? You know, I, I, I truly hope and pray that this series has caused you to reflect on mortality, eternity, and Christ our only hope. Because in the face of eternity, Christ is our only hope. Amen? And so, uh, has anyone over the series, the process of this series, um, had God deal with you regarding sin in your life? Nobody, okay, that's all right. Um, you know, maybe issues that, that you put on the long finger, um, but you finally decided to deal with before it deals with you, like the t-shirt that Robert in the media was wearing last week, um, kill sin before it kills you. But, you know, ultimately, this series um, isn't about sin, but rather eternity. Now, we read last week about Daniel... Um, uh, in, in the book of Daniel, uh, about uh, Bel Belshazzar, and um, 
in uh, Daniel chapter 5, and, and this was the inscription, many, many, tekel you farsen. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And it says, then Belshazzar gave the command, they clothed Daniel with purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And here we see, you know, this king who felt so arrogant and, and so powerful, you know, surrounded by opulence and all the VIPs and important people, and he takes the, the you know, the... the um, the cups that have been taken from the temple and he uses them in his you know hedonistic party and you know this hand writes on the wall many many tekel you farsen and 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 you know it's interesting it says you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting and that very night he leaves time and steps into eternity that very night he discovers you know that all of the power that he thought he had is given over to another and and so there's uh, you know tremendous sobriety when we think about that you know that Belshazzar discovered too late that eternity is is literally just a breath away. We are just one breath from eternity. And he also discovered that there is a God who sifts both our um, actions and our intentions. A God who, who sifts our actions and our motives. And we see this um, in the parable of the tares, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus here is talking. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And the servants of the owner came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to him, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? He said, No. Lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers first, gather together the tares and burn them in bundles uh, to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. And you know, this seems a little cryptic until you go a little further in the chapter, verse 36, and Jesus, you know, really... Um, uh, you know, makes clear what he was saying. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into his house. The disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. I appreciate this may not be politically correct, but this is Jesus speaking, so we need to listen to what he is saying. And he said, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And here, Jesus makes it very clear that ultimately eternity ends in heaven and hell. And um, 
heaven or hell. And you know, it's interesting that he says, you know, um, uh, gather out of my kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. And so, you know, this is a very sobering uh, realization. Um, you know, Jesus said of the Pharisees that they preach, but they do not practice. So again, we must understand God wants us to live a holy life. He wants us, um, uh, you, you know, to walk in, in righteousness and to do his will. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I've asked this question each week. Um, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready, should you hear the master's call, uh, even, uh, you know, where to come this week, where to come this day? Are you rapture ready? Are you ready for eternity? Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust are made manifest in your consciences. So it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because while it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, it's the love of God that moves us to share the gospel with our, our, our fellow man, amen, to take the timeless message of the gospel to people who do not know him. Because we know that eternity only holds terror for those who do not know Jesus Christ. And, and again, people may say, I'm a good person, or, you know, I'm, I, I, I. listen, Jesus said, no one is good. And, and again, eternity only holds terror for those who die without Jesus Christ. That word, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that word in the Greek is phobos, where we get phobia. Um, and it literally means to put in fear, alarm, or fright, exceedingly fear or terror. Now, as believers, we do not hold fear or terror with regards to our death or regards to eternity because we know that Jesus bore our judgment. But Paul said, knowing the phobos of the Lord, knowing the fear or the terror of the Lord, we persuade men because we know they're not ready to stand before the Lord. And sadly, so many people enter eternity without being ready. And so again, I'm I'm not talking about being terrified of God per se, but I am talking about giving God the appropriate honor and respect that belongs to him as God, being mindful of the coming judgment because there is a healthy fear of God. You know, the thief on the cross said, he asked the question, do you not even fear God? Luke 23, 39, one of the criminals who hung those, uh, heaped, uh, who hung there, heaped abuse on him. Are you not the Christ, he said? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, since you're under the same judgment? We are punished judge, uh, justly, for we are receiving what our actions deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Because, you know, sometimes I think modern preaching is guilty of being over-familiar with God and ignoring his justice and his holiness. Because he is an awesome God and eternity will reveal both his greatness and his glory. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. So we know that our God is an awesome God and therefore there is an appropriate way to refer to and engage with the sovereign of the ages. Because yes, while he is our Abba Father, he is also the judge of all men. He is the judge of eternity, a place where all of us will one day go. 
Daniel chapter seven and verse nine says, I watched till thrones are put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair as the head was like pure wool. His throne was like a, was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him a thousand thousands ministered to him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And here we've given a glimpse of the great white throne judgment where all will stand before, or at least all who do not know Christ will stand before God in all of his awesome um, uh, splendor and, and power and glory. And the Bible talks about, it says, the court was seated and the books were open because there is a court higher than the Supreme Court. There is a court higher than the court of public opinion than the court that we see on, on social media. There's a court that the, the sovereign of the ages, God, sits on and, and all men and all women will one day stand before him. And therefore, when you get that understanding, when you get an eternal perspective, if you truly walk in the fear of God, you will not walk in the fear of man. Amen? So again, in these end days, I believe we are seeing a restoration of, the, of wonder, awe, and the fear of the Lord. So firstly, we must awaken, finally, after three weeks, I've got to my first point. We've gone, finally, we've got through the introduction, we're at our first point. I think that'd be a good place to applaud. <laughs> awaken to eternity. Ephesians 5.14 says, this is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Turn to your neighbor, say, wakey, wakey. This is why they said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. The new King James. Therefore he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you life. Oh, how this poor deluded generation needs to awaken from its slumber. Deadened to the voice of God through sin, sloth, and a dead church that proclaims ritual rather than revelation, and reformation rather than regeneration. Well, you see, you don't know, just need to be reformed, you need to be reborn. Amen? Oh, that the church would awaken to the will of God in this hour, that we would awaken to the urgency of the hour. Joel 3.14 addresses this, and it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Do you know the day of the Lord is near? When we look around the world, you know, all over Canada, churches are burning. This week, I think in Alberta alone, something like 10 churches were set on fire. And, you know, it's, it's tragic you know to see churches burning you know we've seen this same pattern in France for a number of years now where churches have been attacked you know Notre Dame uh, Cathedral was burned to the ground but you know the painful truth is this churches burn because pulpits don't I'm not in any way endorsing what's happening, but in many instances, churches are burning because the pulpits have long since stopped burning and there's no use blaming Islamic terrorists or radical leftists. They do what they do. But you know what? In many instances, these beautiful buildings have already been relegated into becoming museums by apostate denominations that show no regard for Christ or for biblical truth. You know, this week in the UK, uh, the Methodist Church in England, you know, they voted to affirm same-sex marriage and cohabitation 
And yet at the same time, they rejected an amendment to affirm the uniqueness of Christ. And so essentially what they've done is they have torn the Bible in two and rejected biblical truth, objective biblical truth. And again, there's some of you who say, Pastor John, why do you say this all the time? You know, uh, know, I have friends who are gay. How can you say that? Listen, we all have friends, our our, our family, our people we love that, that are involved in that lifestyle. But we must understand as Christians, we must make the distinction, you know, loving your neighbor does not mean endorsing their behavior. You may be an adulterer, you may be a liar, you may be a thief, you may be a compulsive liar, but you know what, as a Christian, I cannot indulge or endorse your behavior. I can love you as a person, but I cannot approve of what you do. Because that is not my place. God, Let me say this, God as God is the one who defines right and wrong, not you or I. That is important to understand. We don't hate anybody, we don't want to disrespect anybody, but we have to hold fast to truth. Like the Bible says, hold fast that which you have, that no man take your crown. Now I just read the parable of the tares, where in eternity God will sift between those who truly know and serve him and those who don't. So I don't know about you, but when I consider eternity, I tremble uh, before the thought that we will one day stand before God. So I will not, as a pastor, compromise truth just because it will make it more comfortable for you or for me. Awaken to eternity. We must awaken. Because when we see denominations doing this, it is shameful. I believe John Wesley would turn in his grave. And I'm not trying to be cruel or dismissive. Like I said, to the sincerely held beliefs of of others, whatever religion they may be. But the tragedy is this. In many instances, dead religion is one of the biggest reasons why multitudes are lost to a Christless eternity. Okay, because listen, it's, it's a tradition in this nation. You go to church once or twice a year. That's not Christianity, I'm sorry. And you are not ready for eternity. Just because you turn up in mass at Christmas or Easter. Jesus said by their fruits, you will know them. By your fruits. You know an apple tree because it has apples on it. You know a pear tree because it has pears on it. You know a Christian because they're living for Christ seven days a week, 364 days of the year. It would be a very strange relationship with my wife if I called into her house, and it is her house. Hallelujah. It's like the saying, you get married and you discover, you know, what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. Um, but it would be a strange, it would be a strange marriage if I turned up there once or twice a year. And yet there's some people deluded into thinking that's Christianity. No, it's not. If you, if you follow Jesus, then follow him and live for him. Amen? So again, I think it's important. If you die trusting in a statue or a philosophy or a denomination or religion or your own goodness or good works, you will be sadly disappointed. If you're hoping that your righteousness will save you, then you are lost already. You are lost already. You see, the Bible doesn't teach you that man is prepared for eternity through joining a church or going through rituals or rites or through good works. Ephesians 2.9 says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of of yourself, it says it's not by works lest anyone should boast. The Bible says you must be born again. John chapter 3. 
So you see, God didn't save you because you're so good. God saved you because he's so good. You must understand that. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Jesus did it on the cross. And this is why, you know, uh, if religion could have saved you, if a rite or a ritual could have saved you, then you know what? It would have sufficed for a learned, devout a Pharisee like Nicodemus. But Jesus Christ lovingly and gently shows this sincere seeker of truth that religion our good works cannot save only the precious blood of Jesus like the song what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus first Peter 1 18 for you've not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot you see Jeremiah 29 11 says I know the plans I have for you says the Lord Plans for good and not for evil to give you hope in the future. We must awaken to the eternal plan of God for our lives because there is more to this life than simply this life. There is a there and then as well as a here and now. So many people just live for here and now and they forget about there and then. And you know, uh, I, 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 I tremble at the thought of somebody who dies without Christ and what they will face. And that being so, we must awaken to eternal realities. But let's be honest, the voice of God is being drowned out in our generation by mindless entertainment. Sky, Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, WhatsApp, YouTube, all vying for your attention. And that's before you ever get to adverts or emails or texts or phone calls and the multitude of other avenues that are demanding your time and your focus. You see, we are the most distracted generation that has ever lived, so we must be awakened because the king is coming. Luke 21, 26, men will faint from fear and anxiety of what's coming on the earth, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to happen, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I can speak with some experience of being awakened, for I went to church for 18 years, but I wasn't born again. I was sincere, but I wasn't saved. I was active, but I wasn't alive. I was trying, but I wasn't trusting. I was hungry, but I wasn't holy. How terrible it would have been for me to die with knowledge about but not knowledge of God. How many of you know you can know about God and yet not know God? There's a difference, amen? And so, again, James 2.19, it says, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. It's not enough to say, oh, I believe, I believe, in a vague, abstract sense. The Bible says even demons believe, and they tremble. You know, but clearly, even though they believe, they're not saved. Hosea 6 and verse 3, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. We must have more than simply abstract belief. The Bible in Psalm 34 and 8 says, taste and see. It invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good because it's time to awaken. You know, many of the great revivalists spoke of the awakening of the conscience or the heart of man. You know, Charles G. Finney, uh, I've read his autobiography so many times, such an inspiring man of God, but um, he was a leader of the second great awakening in America where hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. But he spoke about preaching searching sermons. 
Not inspiring sermons or entertaining sermons. He spoke of speaking searching sermons. These were strong messages that were designed to confront the hearers with God's eternal truth and holiness. Like I said last week, there are churches I wouldn't go if you gave me a million euros. I'm sure they're saved, nice people, you know, they love God, etc. But the sermons won't convict or change you. You will feel comfortable, you will get lazy, and you will fall asleep spiritually. You'll hear perky little messages filled with good advice, but there's no fire on the altar. Amen? We need fire on the altar. I don't want a pastor who sings me a lullaby. I want a pastor who gives me a war cry. I want a pastor who shakes me out of my lethargy and my sin. I want a pastor, you know, when I come on a Sunday, I believe I've heard from heaven. We need to be shaken. You know, Joel 6, John 16 and verse 18, it says of the Spirit of God, when he has come, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Because let me say this, where there is conviction, there will be conversion. And that is why we're not seeing conversion in so many churches, is because there isn't that conviction. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to be the church. This is the problem with the whole church growth movement. The church has bought into a faulty premise that growth is the ultimate goal. No, glorifying God is. Glorifying God is the goal, irrespective of whether the church grows or not. You know, and even if the whole church gets up and walks out because they've been confronted with eternal truth, so be it. Because, you know, this erroneous idea that quantity as opposed to quality is equated with success in ministry is wrong. This idea of the bigger, the better. But the problem is, is if my focus as a pastor is on building numbers rather than building disciples, then there is truth I will never proclaim because I will probably offend and cause people to leave. Because when the ultimate goal is, is numerical growth rather than preparing people for eternity, then there are certain subjects you will never mention. There are certain places you will never go because it's counterproductive to your ultimate goal of getting as many people as possible in the doors and ultimately you have become an idolater. And we have to repent of this as the church. You know what? Give me truth even when it hurts. Amen? Come on, that's a good place to say amen. Proverbs 23 and verse 21. Verse 20, Proverbs 23 and verse 21. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Because as ministers, our focus mustn't be on growing churches, but on growing believers. And we must repent, like I said, of this idolatry. Isaiah 66 and 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made, and all these things exist, says the Lord. But listen to this. But on this one I will look. Do you want God's attention? Then listen. But on this one I will look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. You know, I get a lot of pushback at times as a pastor. Oh, I don't like that, and I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that. Listen, does the Bible say it or not? That is what matters, because you must have that attitude whereby you tremble at his word. Okay, Lord, your word says it. I know this is painful. I know this is uncomfortable. I know this is challenging. I know this may be, may, people may look at me strange, or I may lose friendships. I may even lose my job, etc. But you know what? We have to be a people who tremble at his word. 
You know, we must move beyond mere knowledge to revelation and reverence. You know, the revivalist Charles G. Finney, he had a special ministry of leading other ministers to salvation. Because you know what? Sometimes a person isn't far from the kingdom. But you know what? If you miss heaven by an inch, you might as well have missed it by a million miles. Amen? Jesus said of somebody, he's not far from the kingdom, but that doesn't mean you're in the kingdom. Amen? Song of Solomon says, the voice of my beloved... Let me say this, the voice of the bridegroom is going forth to his bride, the church, calling us to awaken to his divine purpose. He wants to open our eyes to eternity, open our eyes to his will, to hear his voice, to see his face, amen, to follow his calling. And this is why there is nothing more vital than this. I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other, said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Yes, God is love, but don't forget that God is holy. He is a holy God. And if you want to follow him, you must live a holy life. And the posts at the door were shaken by the voice of him and cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs with the altar, from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord. You know why some of you don't hear the voice of God? Because of the sin you indulge in your life. Mm-hmm. Isaiah didn't hear the voice of God until he was touched by the fire from the altar, until that sin was taken away. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people. You see, Jesus' last words were go. Go to a lost and a broken world and tell them that I love them. Tell them of my love. Tell them of my plan. Amen? You see, Isaiah was awakened to a realm of God's glory he never even knew existed. In just one moment, God took him from earth to heaven, from from time to eternity, from theory to personal experience. Just one moment. Isaiah was granted a glimpse of eternity, and he would never be the same again. From that moment on, he would forever be a God-touched man. Let me say this in this day and hour. We need to be God-touched men and women. Amen? Hallelujah. We must, we must press in there and receive that touch from him on a daily basis. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You see, God wants to open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. It's time to awaken to eternity. You know, my primary call as a pastor is not to teach you success principles. Listen to a lot of messages today, and that's what it just seems to be like. Pastors just giving out good advice, how to have a good marriage, how to have a good sex life, how to get out of debt, how to do this, how to do that. No, that's not our primary calling. Our primary calling, I believe, as pastors is to connect you with Christ. He will make you a success. When you connect with him, you connect with his purpose. You connect to your purpose, you will become a success. Because he holds the blueprints for your life. And the secret to success is simply do what he created you to do. 
Just spend time with him and it would all start to begin to become clear and make sense. You don't need to figure out life. He has. Just say yes to his will and his way. He has a plan. Because sadly, so many people live as if God does not exist, particularly here in the Western world. But let me say this. If you won't live for him in this life, how can you expect to live with him in the next? If you won't live for Christ in this life, why would you expect to live with Christ in the next? You know, recently, um, a person we knew about 20 years ago made a comment online. Uh, it was towards the end of the lockdown, and Joanna, my wife, um, she just put it out there saying, what do you miss most about uh, church? And this person said, you know, funny, I haven't been in years, and I don't even miss it. You know, the time will come when that person will, but it will be too late because they'll be left behind. Let me say this. The reason why some haven't, and talking to pastors all around the world, it's the same thing. There's a a large segment of the church that haven't returned to church. But let me say this, and, and I appreciate some maybe have some physical issue that they can't, that's fine. But you know what? Let me say why many still haven't come back to church. It's because eternity isn't a priority to them. They make time to go to the shops, to buy clothes or to buy food or do whatever, but they're not making time for church because eternity isn't a priority. It doesn't mean that they're not claiming to follow Christ and I'm not questioning whether or not they're saved. I'm not saying any of that, but I'm just simply saying eternity isn't a priority to them. But when we read the parable of the tares and the wheat, it's very, very sobering because it causes you to look at yourself. Like the Bible says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. So again, let's look at ourselves in a sober, in, in, in the manner which God wants us to. Because, you know, let me say this as a pastor, the amount of people who said to me during the lockdown, pastor, pastor, I so miss church. I still haven't seen them. Where are they? I mean, it's, we're back two months. Where are you? Pastor, I so miss church. They're lying through their teeth. They're just telling me what I want to hear. Awaken to eternity. Secondly, prepare for eternity. John Tillotson, 1630 to 1694. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. Job 16, 19. Surely, even now my witness is in heaven and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, that one might plead for man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. For when a few years are finished, I shall go the way of no return. You see, none but Christ alone have ever returned from death. The Bible here in Job refers to it as the way of no return. Whether you like it or not, the time will come when you take your final breath and you will go the way of no return. Are you ready to make that journey? Because it truly is the way of no return. Just think about the multitudes of saints and scholars, kings and generals, poets and philosophers, rich and poor, prophet and priest, inventors and geniuses who have all gone before you never to return in spite of their greatness, their accomplishment, their wealth and their fame. Are you ready to make that journey? This is why we must make provision for eternity because it's unavoidable that we will all go that one way too. Thomas Hobbes, 1588 to 1679. 
The reason why I'm quoting the dates is because ultimately, every one of us, we're going to have two dates. A date of birth, a date of death, everything in between, that's your life. That's it. That little dash summarizes your life. So Thomas Hobbes said this, hell is truth seen too late. How many people end up in hell because it's only at that moment that they're confronted by truth? Because all of their life they rejected or ignored the truth of God's word. Hell is truth seen too late. There is such a thing as too late. So one of, this is why we must prepare for eternity. And one of the ways we prepare for eternity is go to a good Bible-based church that will help us to prepare, to teach, that will teach us how to walk by faith. So again, who do you walk with? Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. The NLV, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with fools and get in trouble. Let me ask you today, are you here today by compulsion or conviction? The English preacher Thomas Fuller, 1608 to 1661 said, it is the best to be with those in time that we hope to be with in eternity. Because those who you travel with right now are a good indication of who you will be with in eternity. If you spend your time in bars and brothels, you will most likely be with those very same people in eternity, and it most likely won't be heaven. Psalm 1 and verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You know, the, the NIV says, uh, who doesn't sit in the seat of mockers because so much of what we call entertainment today simply consists of mocking God, truth, and righteousness. We must prepare for eternity even if people look at us funny because saying a prayer is one thing and living a life is another. So don't deceive yourself. If you don't live for Christ, you won't live with Christ. I appreciate this may be a sermon that makes you uncomfortable. I'm glad. Some of us have been too comfortable for far too long. You know, the book of Galatians 6 and 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So don't be careless about your eternal soul and its eternal destination. It's like Pastor Rick Warren said, at most you will live 100 years on earth, but you will spend forever in eternity. So you better make sure you go to the right place. And you know, some of you need to adjust your attitude and not be so obnoxious around other people. If you won't treat other people right, if you're disrespectful to other people, Do you understand the time will come when the books are opened and everything will be revealed? We can be praising the Lord on a Sunday. And, and you know, like uh, Rainer Bonnke used to talk about submarine Christians. You know, s- Sunday afternoon, glug, 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 glug. And you go to great depths for the rest of the week. Saturday night, glug, 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 glug. You appear in church, praise the Lord. No, listen, we got to live this in Jesus' name. Amen, we got to live this. Amos 4.12 says, prepare to meet your God. Get your life right with God because if it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, it's the fear of God that keeps us from sin. You know, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, I believe, is testament to a life that was not ready for eternity. Job chapter 18 and verse 5. 
It says the light of the wicked goes out. Here Job gives us a picture of what happens a person who dies without Christ. And the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent and his lamp beside him is put out. Your life is likened to a little flame on a candle and the time comes and it's extinguished. And you step out of time into eternity. And here we see this per- picture of a man who steps out of eternity. He says the steps of his strength are shortened and his own counsel casts him down. He's cast into a net by his own feet. And he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel. And it says, and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground and a trap for him on the road. Terrors fright him on every side and drive him to his feet. His strength is starred and destruction is ready at his side. It devours patches of his skin. The firstborn of death devours his limb. Here, death is literally personified as being an actual being. And it says, he is uprooted from the shelter of his tent and they parade him before the king of terrors. Here the Bible talks about how, you know, Satan treats eternal souls as trophies. And they're paraded before the king of terrors. Can you imagine that moment when an eternal soul is paraded before Satan and where the demons are literally taunting him saying, you didn't believe in God. You rejected the gospel. You said it was all foolishness. You said that when you died, you were just dead like a dog in the ground. You said there was no God or heaven or hell. And yet here you are, you fool. You fool. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. See, there is nothing more terrifying than eternity. They parade him before the king of terrors. Because now that soul belongs to Satan. They dwell in his tent where none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his dwelling. His roots are dried below and his branches withered above. The memory of him perishes from the earth. And he is no name among the renowned. He is driven from light into darkness. And chased out of the world. Verse 21. Surely are the dwelling, such are the dwellings of the wicked. And this is the place of him who does not know God. This is the place of him who does not know God. You see, Job 18 records the awful fate of those who live and die without Christ. First Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Do you want to know God's will for your life? He wants you to be holy. It is that you would be sanctified, that you would be made ready for eternity because we will be out of here in a moment, literally in the twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And this is why we must live ready. I want to ask you today, are you ready for eternity? Because eternal life is not found in lifeless traditions, but rather in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Savior. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have saved. Could you give me three minutes and I'm finished? We must awaken to eternity. We must prepare for eternity. Lastly, we must respond to eternity. You see, we must respond to eternity because Isaiah 57 and verse 15 says, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is of a contrite and humble heart to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. You see, the Bible says God inhabits eternity and one day we will too. And this is why we must respond to eternity. Psalm 42, 7, deep calls unto deep. 
Can you hear the voice of the Father? He is inviting us to respond to his eternal call because while it's one thing to prepare for eternity, amen, hallelujah, it's another entirely to prepare others to stand before God. And this is why we must respond to eternity. We must answer the call just like the disciples. Daniel 12 and three, then those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We must win souls, amen? We must be soul winners. So I love about Dennis. You know, Dennis is in these 80s. Give me a wave, Dennis. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Dennis, give me a wave. Glory to Jesus. That man is a soul winner. He's in his 80s. Yesterday, he was out there in the, in the flats, knocking on doors, telling people about Christ. You see, we're called to win souls. He who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11, verse 30. You know, God is not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, John Wesley boldly declared, the world is my parish. You know, he had a heart for people. Even though he was highly educated, he spent his life among uneducated minors. You know, he came to Ireland numerous times, over 42 times he came to this nation. And there were those in London who criticized him for sending so many preachers to Ireland and for spending so much time here in Ireland. And yet, he simply responded by saying, the time will come when this nation will repay England for the time and the, and the resources that were sown into that nation by the mighty men and women of God that Will arise from that nation. You see, he believed in this little island. He had a heart for souls. This is why we must respond to eternity. You know, Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You see, if we are followers of Christ, we will be winners of souls. We're called to be soul winners. And you know what? We're not following Christ if we're not seeking to bring others to the knowledge of him. You know, Matthew 9, I don't have time to go there, but it talks about how Jesus called Matthew, and it says Matthew brought all of his friends, all the tax collectors, all these despised people, and they were sitting in the presence of Christ. And the Pharisees said, you know, to his disciples, in the New Living it says, how can, your, how can your master bear to eat with such scum? But you know what? Sinners were drawn to Jesus because he hated their sin but loved their soul. Jesus is the lover of our souls. And he loved these men enough to risk censure uh, by the religious authorities and being misunderstood by his followers. Amen? For associating with these people. But he didn't care about his reputation. He cared about their eternal souls. And he is our example. That's why 2 Timothy 4 says, preach the word. You know, we must preach for eternal results, not temporal you know, popularity. You know, we must live and minister in the fear of God, not man. You know, Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man is a snare. And you see, when we get a vision of eternity, that is when things change. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said this, the glory seems to have departed from the pulpit. Three things are missing, intensity, immensity, and eternity. I thought this was just going to be one week. Fact is, I could have probably made it four or five. But you know what? Here, he said, you know, the glory is departed because three things are missing. Intensity, immensity, and eternity. Because it's when we get a vision of eternity that we get a revelation of God's immensity. And we also realize the urgency of the hour. Because so many are not ready to stand before him. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. Are you moved by time or by eternity? Are you moved by ambition to climb the ladder or to accumulate wealth? Or do you want to glorify God? Do you want to win souls? Do you want to glorify God 
ourself. Because God not only awakens us, he not only prepares us, but he wants to use us to reach others for him. Amen? And this is why people talk about, you know, making peace with God, and that's okay. But, you know, Romans 5.1 says we already have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see, you know, we must reach others. That's why Isaiah cried out, here I am, send me. And, you know, if you could stand to your feet today, you know, is that the cry of your heart? Here I am, send me. And um, thank you. And this is why, again, eternity stands before all of us. And that's why I would say to you today as I finish, don't leave the final moments of your life. Don't leave the final moments of your life. You know, when there's nothing more you can do for God, live for him today. Answer his call today. Because we who have found eternal assurance in Christ, the most natural thing in the world for us to do is to share that assurance with others. To share that good news with others. Isaac Watts, I believe the promises of God enough to venture an eternity on them. You see, you can venture an eternity on Christ and he will not let you down. Because the Bible has the answers that this world longs for. In the face of You know, you could say on the top is time and the bottom is eternity. And you know, all of us are running out of time. All of us are just here for a season. But you know, John 5 and verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in me has everlasting life. In the face of a life that is, you know, in the face of a a life that is growing short, or every one of those grains of sand really could describe a day. Every one of those days, day by day it's passing. We're growing older. Our time on this planet is growing shorter, and yet we don't have to give in to fear. Why? Because Jesus Christ conquered mortality. That thing that has haunted mankind, our mortality. The fact that we look and we realize, you know, I was 30, now I'm 40, now I'm 50, now I'm 70, now I'm 80. You know, the time, you realize your time is growing short. And eventually that time comes to an end. And that's why the Bible says man goes to his eternal home. 1 John 5, 11, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Because living in the light of eternity will change our priorities. We will no longer be living for ourselves, but for God's glory. You know, John Owen said this, Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. You see, You don't have forever. You just have a very limited time before you leave this planet. And that is why you must get right with God. You have now. Do not assume you have another opportunity. That's why the Bible says today, if you hear his voice. I know I've gone way over time and I'm sorry, but you know what? With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity. Praise God. If you could take them, thank you so much. You have an eternal soul. And in this message, I believe today, God has confronted some of you with eternity. I believe he's confronted all of us, but ultimately, it's only those of you who know Jesus as your Savior. I want to ask you this question. Are you born again? Do you have peace with God? Do you have that assurance that heaven is your home and Jesus is your Lord? If not, I want you to put your hand up and I'm going to pray for you today.
You do not have tomorrow, you only have today. That is why you must respond. If you do not know Jesus as your savior, put your hand up high and I'm gonna pray for you today. Because you have an eternal soul, I see that hand. Anybody else today? God bless you. Anybody else today? You have an eternal soul. Jesus said, what does a prophet man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Amen. Anybody else today want to respond and say yes to Jesus Christ? Put your hand up high. Don't walk out of here today if you're not right with God. Don't walk out of here today if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Could those ladies who put your hand up, just come down here. I want to pray with you today. Amen. God bless you. Give them an encouragement as they come. Come on. We're not looking to embarrass you. This is about simply responding to eternity. It's about simply responding to what Jesus did for you on the cross. You know, if there's anybody else here today and you don't have that assurance that Christ is Lord of your life, you need to be down here. You need to humble yourself before the Lord. You know, in eternity, I truly believe there will be people who will realize that it was their pride that kept them from heaven because they had an opportunity to receive Jesus and they didn't do it. Oh, people would look at me. This isn't about embarrassing you. This is about simply preparing your heart for eternity. I don't mean to labor this, but if there's somebody else who needs to be down here, this is your moment. If you've been in sin or backslidden or away from God, this is your moment to respond and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. Praise you, Jesus. God bless you. Give this lady encouragement as she comes. Praise you, Jesus. Come on. The Lord is going to do something in this place. Could you stretch your hands towards them today? I've done my best to preach the gospel to you today. And if you're not right with God and you walk out of here, it is not on me. You take responsibility for your eternal soul. Eternity is not something we're playing games with and neither is God. Stretch your hands towards them. Just look at me today and just say this simple prayer. The Lord loves you. He paid for your sins on the cross. Just pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin, that you lived a perfect life, and that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my life, Lord Jesus Christ, and forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And just as you have forgiven me, I forgive anything that I hold against anybody. And I know that I have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. Could you give a shout of praise to the Lord today?